Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We are also dedicated to being in right relationship with one another, with ourselves, and with our planet. Whoever you are, whatever body you live in, whoever you love, you are welcome here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so when we greet one another in the comments, if you have access to comments, it is the divine in each of us greeting the divine in the other. Join me in saying our chalice lighting. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our opening words are from science fiction and fantasy writer F.T. McKinstry from her Chronicles of Eluron series, Book 2, The Grey Isles. Springtime blooms the starry tree, bearing fruit the mariners see, high by night and low by dawn, the silver apple guides us home. congregation wrote a mission statement to guide us as we make our decisions moving forward into the future. We wrote it on the wall in our sanctuary where we will be again. For now, let us say it together. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. One of the ways that we build the beloved community is by having a moment for beloved community every uh, Sunday.
And today I would like to tell you about Dr. Jane Hinton. She was born in 1919, and her father, Augustus Hinton, was a famous and accomplished bacteriologist who was the first African-American man to teach at Harvard Medical School. After her graduation from college, Jane worked in her father's lab for a while, and her um, job was to be assistant to John Howard Muller in Harvard University's Department of Bacteriology and Immunology. And there, she helped develop the Muller-Hinton agar, a culture medium in which bacteria can thrive. It has become one of the standard methods used to test bacterial resistance to antibiotics. From 1942 to 1945, Hinton worked as a medical technician in Arizona for the U.S. War Department. After World War II ended, she decided she wanted to become a veterinarian and enrolled in the School of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. She was class historian and class secretary, graduating with her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine in 1949. That year, Alfreda Johnson Webb also gained her VMD from Tuskegee University. They were the first two African-American women veterinarians in the nation. Good morning. Do you ever like to just look up at the sky? Today I have trees and tree limbs up above me, I'll show you. But beyond that is blue. And beyond that are the stars. Even though I can't see them right now, I know that they're still there. The Knowing Book by Rebecca K. Dotlich, illustrated by Matthew Cordell. Before you forget, look up. The sky has always been above you, is above you now, and will always be above you. Count on it. It is what you will always know. Open a door, follow a trail, or a sidewalk, or a sign. Any one of them will take you somewhere. You will choose. Step one step at a time, and don't ignore a hum, and don't deny a cry. Both are useful, and both are good, and both will comfort you if you are lost. Know this, there is magic around you, but it hides. You might find it nestled in a wand, or a spell, but more likely in a penny, or a prayer. Be open to it. Sit down on a step or a hill or at the edge of a sea. Take time to imagine something or let something imagine you. The unknown is waiting. Carry a map as a guide, but explore those trails not drawn on paper. This is called curiosity and this is called adventure. Keep them in your pocket. Run often and fast, toward or away from something. Trust yourself to know which. And trust yourself to know when, by the chanting clocks that hang on walls of dreams. This is called wise, and this is called brave. Pretend you are someone, and pretend you are no, no one. 
Pretend you are who you long to be, who you would never want to be, and who you can only imagine being. Know that you will be parts of all of these. Don't be too busy to slosh in a puddle or fly a kite or too important to pick up the lost coin or the common shell. These small things are coveted by giants. When you blow a whistle or a bubble or a horn, it is followed by an echo or a pop or a song. Listen, for this is the ballad of your own breathing. The sky holds a wing, a hoot, a chill. Allow the breeze of each to slip through the cracks of your window and into your sleep. And before you forget, look up. The stars have always been above you, are above you now, and will always be above you. You will come upon delicious things and dark things, but all the paths you take will join to lead you home. Count on it. It is what you will always know. Our meditative reading today comes to us from our own Reverend Meg Barnhouse in a story she titled Magic 8-Ball. My children are in the car asking questions of the Magic 8-Ball. Are these guys cheap boogers, asks my 10-year-old from the backseat of the car. He shakes the magic eight ball, waiting for the answer to float up from the depths. He's in disagreement with his little brother about the quality of the rock band playing on the radio as we drive to school. I hear him ask again, are these guys cheap boogers? Shake. Silence. Again, are these guys... Cheap boogers. Shake. He laughs in triumph. It says, as I see it, yes. The Magic 8-Ball thinks your music stinks too. I'm laughing at how many times he had to shake the 8-Ball till the answer he wanted floated up to the little window. The Magic 8-Ball has been rolling around on the floorboard of my car for some weeks now. My youngest bought it with money he had saved from five weeks of allowance. It's a shiny black plastic ball filled with a blue liquid. In the liquid are floating a couple of pyramids with answers on each side. And different answers float up to a round window in the bottom of the ball. You ask a question, then you shake the ball and wait for an answer to appear. You may get signs point to yes. Or concentrate and then ask again. Don't count on it or cannot predict now. I'm loving the questions they want to ask it. Is my brother a dork? Is my mother pretty? Is the magic eight ball a piece of cheap junk? They want to believe in it. They want to believe the answers that float up to the window have to do with the question they asked. I find myself wanting that too. I believe in divination. I look for wisdom to come from tarot cards, runes, and the I Ching. 
I believe there's something that speaks to us through arrangements of objects in the physical world. Whether it is my inner wisdom speaking or my higher power speaking, I can't tell. I don't think divination foretells the future. The future is too liquid. I think divination gives you an in-depth look at what is the situation in the present moment. Knowing what the situation is, is good for planning, for changing your behavior, for making informed decisions. It can give you a warning, or a caution, or an encouragement. I've read tarot cards since I was 15 years old because my Aunt Ruth taught me how. I know lots of educated and cultured people who use the I Ching regularly and derive great benefits from its insights. My Unitarian religious tradition suggests that I approach all things rationally and with an open mind. So, I try to approach the Magic 8-Ball with respect. I try. I keep breaking into a grin. There's somewhat less dignity in a shiny black plastic ball than there is in a beautiful deck of tarot cards. No scholars have written commentary on the 8-Ball as they have on the Chinese I Ching. But who says respect has to be solemn? I let myself giggle. I ask it, can I approach you with respect? It answers, yes, definitely. I ask, are you a piece of cheap junk? It answers, my sources say no. Now here comes the sticky part. The eight ball has answered with what seems like coherence. I have to decide now whether to ask it a real question about something I really want to know. I can leave the eight ball alone and have had a pleasant encounter with the eight ball angels or coincidence. Or I can ask it something that matters. How do I decide? If I ask it something important and it gives a silly answer an answer I don't want, I have to deal with that. My philosophy and theology say that God is huge and mysterious and not to be confined to a churchly or even dignified context. My other way of deciding things is to ask myself what kind of old woman I want to become. I want to be the kind of woman who could hear the voice of God and a magic eight ball. I ask it, is a book of mine going to get published? Outlook is good, it says. I like this. I believe in taking encouragement where I can find it. If it hadn't given me the answer I wanted, would I have shaken it over and over until I got one that suited me better? Maybe. I know that's cheating, but I want to be the kind of old woman who is not above being cheap boogers. Now is the time in our service where we enter into prayer and meditation and silence together. In this silence, we can speak or listen to God as we understand God. Or we can 
wait for a word from our inner wisdom or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Ralph Waldo Emerson, our forebear, called this the wise silence. As we continue in our attitude of meditation, you are welcome to light candles in your home, a candle of joy or sorrow, a candle of memory or determination. Here we are at the end of a year. We have some hope now dawning because of these two new vaccines. And we are changing our pandemic gears from this trudging from one day to the next in endurance mode and in sorrowing. We are still in that gear and yet we have a little descant now of hope, of thought, of what might we want to keep from this time and what might we want to look forward to reawakening that we loved from the before times. And so in this time of looking forward, um, where we might go in the future, finally understanding that there might actually be a future for us, for whatever the new normal might be. I want to talk about guidance. I want to talk about ways that we make decisions and ways that we figure out where we're going. As our hymn says today, we're going, heaven knows where we are going, but we know within. And we count on that. Your call to worship talked about steering your ship, navigating by the silver apple. So we're going to think about what is our silver apple? What is the value that guides us? I'm going to talk about a lot of different methods of guidance and decision making. And so really we're in the mode of maybe just walking together down a beach and picking up this shell and that stone and that feather over there and putting something in our pocket and tossing something back that might mean more to someone else. Sometimes... We have a decision to make and the choices are clear. It's a pretty binary decision. Either we stay in the job or we leave the job. Either we stay in the marriage or we leave the marriage. Either we move to another town or we stay in this town. Um, But a lot of times uh, the choices are not that clear. But sometimes if they're clear, we can make lists of pros and cons. Very rational. And we consult people whose judgment we trust. My colleague Craig 
uses the order method. So he pretends like he's in a restaurant. He's looking in the menu. He makes a choice. He declares his choice out loud. And then he sits and waits for the thought of, am I going to be disappointed in the choice I made or am I happy with my choice? Just trying the choice on helps you decide. Other people will just walk around and around and around a decision until what they should do becomes clear. And for them, it doesn't even feel like making a choice. It just feels like walking around and chewing on something until, you know, what you need to do is perfectly obvious. These people drive their partners crazy because they keep talking around and around the problem and their partners are like, well, just quit. And then the one who's talking about the problem gets mad because they didn't want a solution yet. They just wanted to walk around and talk around the problem until it became clear. So if your partner's doing that or if your dear friend is doing that, just let them keep walking around the problem and chewing on things until it becomes clear to them. They don't, they don't need your help right now. My colleague Joanna says that she consults her guiding principles and lets them guide her. And so sometimes you, you have to ask, what of my guiding principles and values does this situation touch on if you're not clear? And then sometimes if it touches on two of your guiding principles, say peace and justice, and they're in conflict with each other, which peace and justice often are, you have to ask yourself, which one am I going to prioritize right now? And, you know, just speaking of churches, a church can just split right in two over whether you're going to prioritize peace or justice. Some people go, oh, we mustn't make a fuss. And other people are like, we're going to make a fuss until something changes. We all need all of us. So other questions that my friend Joanna asks herself are, um, what is my core value in this situation? And how do I want to show up in the world? In this congregation, you are welcome to use our congregation's mission as your own personal mission if that would help you make decisions. What would help you uh, stay together in your community? What would help you nourish souls? What would help you transform lives, your own included? What would help you help the other people who are working on it to build the beloved community? Some of us uh, write it all out. We can fill pages while we figure out, uh, we orient ourselves like, who am I? And what would I, what do I want? And how can I get there? And if I go down this road, I imagine this thing is going to happen. If I go down that road, I imagine that thing is going to happen. And so you can just kind of think it out by writing it out. Another Facebook friend named Jamie, who describes himself as an arrogantly intelligent gay Hispanic Alaskan, says, I am in 12-step recovery and I have a regular routine of prayer and meditation. I spend 15 minutes to half an hour every morning reading from some inspiration books and then sitting quietly mindful of breathing, communing with the universe. I express gratitude for another day, share my plans, ask for help and guidance. 
When the morning ritual is done, I try to go about my day with intention and awareness, trying to notice any messages or information coming my way. It can come from a song on the car radio or an unexpected wildlife encounter or something over here in line at the grocery store. Even being aware of my body or the random stray thought can bring inspiration. When I'm practicing awareness, guidance comes all the time. The challenge is to pay attention. I love the way he describes that. So we talked about maybe a scrap of a song on the radio or a thought that occurs to you or a chance wildlife encounter. I, I love that. Other people do a lot of reading and research. Consultation with friends, wise ones. Sometimes they ask even a, lot, a wise one who has passed on. They'll just say, what would they have done? Some methods of inviting guidance are a little more what some people call woo-woo. My Aunt Ruth was a psychiatrist and an Episcopal priest. And she taught me to read tarot cards when I was a teenager, much to my father's chagrin. And she said that tarot cards helped your inner wisdom speak to you. And so mostly it was kind of uh, Jungian, which she was, Jungian, uh, let your unconscious speak kind of philosophy about the cards. But every now and then she would use the phrase tarot angels. And so I suspect that she thought that there were more angelic presences involved. A character in a detective series that I like to read uses a deck of tarot cards and he explains it like this. I kept a Rider weight tarot deck wrapped in a silk cloth. I'm not superstitious. More than that, I refuse superstition. Ghosts and goblins and astrology and numerology and phrenology and all the new age BS of mother goddesses and Wicca. The world would be a happier place if it would die quietly. Tarot is different. Tarot is, can be, a kind of gaming system that forces you out of a particular mindset. Let's say you're trying to, oh, say, steal something. He's a, a thief, detective. So your mindset says X is a danger and Y is a danger, but the tarot says think about Z. So you start thinking uh, about things outside the mindset, and we finally do the thing. You're considered, you've considered a whole spread of possibilities that otherwise would have gone unsuspected. Nothing magical about it, but it will definitely save your behind. Some of my colleagues use the I Ching, an ancient book of wisdom from China. I use Carol K. Anthony's translation. One of Carl Jung's students, Marie-Louise von Franz, F-R-A-N-Z, wrote a book called On Divination and Synchronicity, where she talks in depth about the ancient Chinese mathematical algorithms by which they thought things occurred together. It wasn't that certain things caused other things, but in this philosophy she said it was just a, a noticing from hundreds of years that certain things seemed to occur together in synchrony. My Aunt Dorothy who was Aunt Ruth's sister, said, oh yes, I used to read the I Ching. And it always told me to be modest, accepting, and balanced. So I stopped using it. 
I felt her pain. I had just had a reading from the I Ching that told me to be docile as a yellow cow. <laughs> ah, I tried. I tried. In the Temple of Solomon in the Jewish tradition, the priests had a divination tool called the Urim and the Thummim. And we're not really sure whether they were dice or stones or sticks or what they were. But the priests would use these tools at the, at, from time to time to, to discover the will of God. So one way these forms of divination can be understood is if you believe that there's a God who's controlling the dice or the cards or the pendulum or the coins. If, is, is there a divinity who's controlling that? Marie-Louise von Franz quotes some Hindu scriptures. She said in the Bhagavad Gita, the god Krishna says of himself, I am the game of dice. I am the self seated in the heart of beings. I am the beginning and the middle and the end of all beings. Another way of understanding these more woo-woo methods is by believing that you know more than you know that you know. Understand? And that your inner wisdom is picking up all kinds of subliminal clues and putting things together in a way that your conscious mind might just be too busy to do. And that any of these divination methods are ways of your inner wisdom speaking to you about things that you know already that you don't know that you know. Some folks use the pendulum uh, where you say, give me a yes and it swings I don't know, back and forth and give me a no and it swings around. It's controlled by your involuntary muscle movements and what they will say is that this is your unconscious speaking to you of things that you already know through your involuntary muscle movements. And I'd like to support this by the work of a Hungarian chemist named Michael Polanyi. He wrote a book called Tacit Knowing and he argued that each of us knows more than we realize and that we can access this unconscious wisdom the unconscious that has picked up so many cues in many different ways. So, for us, however you are seeking to move forward in this time of hope and expectation and sorrow all at once, however you are looking for guidance, I pray that the questions become clearer in your mind and that the inspiration that you receive from songs on the car radio or from random thoughts or from books, from music, from friends, from scriptures, from tarot cards, the I Ching, lists that you make from your dreams themselves or from something else comes through. I pray the inspiration comes through loud and clear singing to your spirit. And I hope you stay receptive even if you don't choose to be docile as a yellow cow. I invite you to join me now as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and breathe.
remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.